Okay, so Genesis chapter 3. We left off in verse 7 last time, so I'll start in verse 8. It says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. I'm just going to stop at that point for today. Now let's pray. Father, again, we ask that you would just help us as we're looking at your word. We thank you for it, and um, just for the lessons that we can gain from reading these and studying these things. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would just help each one of us this morning to receive what you would have us to learn this morning, um, that our hearts would be ready to, to hear what you have for us. And Lord, I just ask for your, your strength um, and your guidance for me as I'm speaking this morning, that you would be able to use the things that I say for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm basically just going to walk through this, comparing Scripture with Scripture, just pointing out some basic truths that we can get as we read these things. Um, maybe just remind you that I said a few weeks ago, um, Ken Ham, when he's teaching um, through Answers in Genesis and, and whatnot, any issue that we face, any, all, most sin, most, most controversial issues, most things are dealt with in these first 11 chapters of Genesis. Um, the beginning 
of these things, at the very least, is found here. And we can turn to this section of Scripture as a foundation to build from as we look at the rest of Scripture. And the rest of Scripture just builds on the foundation that is laid here. And really can see that, especially in this story. This, is, this story is the foundation of the, the, the need for the rest of what is in Scripture. Um, this is the beginning of sin. Um, had they not eaten that fruit, had sin never entered into the human realm, what a we we we'd have stopped here. Like what a like none of the rest of it would have been necessary. Like on one page, double sided, up to this point. What what a different book it would have been had these events not occurred. It's these exact events that we're reading in chapter 3 that required all the rest of what took place and the rest of what was written to deal with the consequence of this choice of them eating that fruit. Changed everything. And so we, we need to come back and look at these things realizing this is the source of our problem. And when, you know, who, who owns three vehicles that are on the road and thinks that in the same day, all three are going to be immobile? Like, <laughs> it doesn't happen, but, you know, the reason for that is because of this. <laughs> this, is, this is the whole, everything, every problem that we face because of this. <laughs> we need to realize that when we're facing these things. I'll just point this out. Like, try, see if I can clarify this. I was, I was preaching at a different church. I mentioned that I got in trouble for something that I had said. And I was in this area preaching. And I mentioned, so in here we get the consequence of sin. Our world is cursed. Because of sin. And at that time, I managed to name the exact issue that somebody's child has as an example of the consequence of sin. It's a genetic thing that that child had. And I wasn't, I didn't even know these people. I didn't know them at all. Didn't know anybody there was dealing with this specific thing that I mentioned. But I just mentioned that it is a result of this. But their interpretation of what I said is that it was because of their sin. I was like, no, I... There are things, there are consequences of our sins, specifically. Uh, I, I, don't ever, I don't know what I should say sometimes. <laughs> or what I shouldn't say sometimes, maybe is better. I think it was Thursday night, we were just talking, and the things going on in our world is like, remember monkeypox was this big? It was the next thing that was going to destroy the world? 
You notice it disappeared in a real hurry from the news? Because they couldn't ignore the fact that it was only a very specific group of people that were receiving, transmitting that disease. There's a, a specific consequence of sin. Specific sins lead to specific consequences, right? And sin in our lives will lead sometimes to God putting things in our path to try to deal with, to get us to deal with our sin. But we don't look to every deformity and every genetic problem as the you know, your child has that because of your sin. That's, that's not the way I'm saying it. These things are just a result of sin in general. Our world is cursed, and there are problems just throughout. Um, one of the things, people bring up this thing with, maybe I'll get there, but Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel, right? And then he's cursed and is sent in away from a... And it says he had, took his wife. Well, where did his wife come from? Well, Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. He married a sister. And we think like, oh, horrific, that he married a sister. Did you read through like Abraham? And Abraham sent to his servant to find a wife for his... Isaac, and he sent him to his home and make sure that it's a relative that you get. And Isaac did the same with Jacob. Like, keep going back to the exact same family that we came from to find our... Well, sin has caused problems in our genetic code. And so early on, there was a lot less problems in our genetic code And so the resultant problem in the offspring wasn't as severe, but as time progresses and that those damages occur and amplify, now if we marry our siblings, the problems from that are much larger. It's because of genetic problems. And so this became a problem through time, and God gave some rules about that later. Didn't give the rules right at the beginning. So you've got to understand the reasons for, for some of the addition of some rules that are given. We're way off topic now. Let's go back to this verse 8. It says, They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. To start with, that's an odd description. <laughs> I heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. Does God talk to himself while he walks? <laughs> what is that sound? No idea. Um, but it says Adam... And his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Can you hide from the presence of God? <laughs> Maybe we should stop and look at the, the fact that 
the Lord actually came and walked in the garden and visited with them. And this was a normal occurrence. This is before sin, right? That this happened. There was fellowship between man and God in a direct way. That they, God would come and walk in the garden and visit. I'm going to get myself in all kinds of trouble today. I've met any number of people who will claim to have conversations with God. And yet, as we go through Scripture, when we look at Isaiah, Isaiah or Ezekiel, can't remember which, remember that when he sees this vision of God coming to speak to him, as soon as he realizes, like, this is God's presence in front of me, his response is, I am undone. <laughs> Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. It's like, I'm about to die because I'm talking to God. And he knows me as a sinner, having a conversation with God cannot happen without me being dead. And yet, today, so many people speak of their conversations with God as if their sin is no problem whatsoever in that relationship. I have to question who they're actually talking with. Not to say that God doesn't speak to us, but God's, God hasn't changed his character, and he still can't allow sinful man in directly into his presence because his holiness would destroy us. So there's, there's still a veil between there. If you look, I just got a, a few verses to look at about this idea of hiding from God. Proverbs chapter 11. Sorry, that's Psalms. Psalm 11. Psalm 11, verse 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. And it describes a little bit more about the result of that. It says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked shall he rain snares, fire and brimstone, and in horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. The Lord loveth righteousness. But specifically here, 
we see that the eyes of him behold the children of men. God, God sees everything. Proverbs. There's a couple of passages in Proverbs. And I could it's there's many, many verses that that say similar things to these ones that I've picked. I just picked a handful just to make the point here. Proverbs 5, verse 21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. The, eye, the, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. Over a few pages in chapter 15 of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 3, says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Adam and Eve hid among the trees of the garden from the presence of God. We go into a dark corner somewhere sometimes to try to hide our sin. We try to pretend that no one knows and no one can see. Verse 26 in chapter 15 says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. But the words of the pure are pleasant words. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. God knows our thoughts. <laughs> Every thought that we think is known by God. So never mind physically hiding and doing things in a, behind closed doors and thinking that we can get away with it. It's far beyond that. We can't even hide our thoughts from God. My father-in-law has a likes to say I can I can think what I want. I can't say what I want often, but I can think what I want. And well, that's true, but that only works with people. You know, I I can hold my tongue to not offend you. But if and you don't know what I'm thinking about you <laughs> or about what you've said or or done. But you know what? God does. We, we will open our mouth and we pray and we, we say these prayers to God as if he doesn't know our thoughts. <laughs> right? Like, when I'm directing my thoughts towards God in prayer, I, I'm very righteous and holy and, you know, respectful. And yet, when I step out the door and bust my knuckles on <laughs> the wrench slipping, and I use God's name as a curse, whether it came out or is silent in my head, I'm still, God, like, it's still the same God that knows those thoughts. Those aren't hidden from him. When, when I'm thinking evil thoughts towards another person, of how much I hate that person, God knows those thoughts. And when I come to prayer and pretend like those thoughts don't exist, and I don't deal with those thoughts with God, and I don't bring that to him saying, like, 
God, I'm, I'm sorry for this. Like we just ignore most of that stuff that goes on in our head as if God doesn't know. There's nothing hidden from God. He sees it all. And we need to deal with all of it. A couple more verses in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 11. Jeremiah 11, verse 17. It says, For the Lord of hosts that planted thee hath pronounced evil against thee, for the evil of the house of Israel and for the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in the offering of incense to Baal. And I don't think I'm reading the right verse, to be honest. <laughs> but it's still, it's still a verse that speaks to the consequence of sin, right? God's dealing with the things that we do, the evil in our hearts. And he's pronounced evil against us for the evil of the host of Israel, the host of Judah, which they've done against themselves. Hmm, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. The sin, their own sin against themselves. You don't have to sin against somebody else for God to deal with you and to cause problems in our life. As, as I mentioned this morning, like the problems that we face in life Many of it is just, it's the result of sin in general. The curse that is on our whole earth is because of just sin in, in the general sense. But this verse is saying God's causing a particular problem on these particular people because of their particular sin. God will deal with us over our sin as well. Again, I don't think that's the verse I was looking for. But <laughs> verse chapter 23. So Jeremiah 23. Um, start in verse 23. says, so Jeremiah 23, 23 says, Am I a God at hand? saith the Lord, and, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? I have heard what the prophets said, that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. That almost sounds like us preachers ought to be really careful of what we're teaching Because God sees every word that, that we say. Everything that I prepare, God knows. He knows every thought. 
Verse 24, again, it says, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? We can't hide from God. He knows absolutely everything that goes on in our minds, in our hearts, our thoughts, and, of course, everything that we do. We can't hide from God. And so we're back in Genesis It's incredible looking at this. Um, first, that they, Adam and Eve think that they can hide from God. And rightly so. Not, not rightly that they think they can hide, but rightly that they attempt to hide. Right? They, they're now aware of not only did they do the thing that God told them not to do, but now they're aware of even more issues, like the nakedness is the one that's brought up. They're, they're naked before God, and they, they know that, like, this is a problem. <laughs> I, again, things that I wonder if I should say. In our world, our, our devices, I've seen people commenting when we go to the washroom and we sit on a toilet most people have that device in their hand and they're scrolling through and looking at whatever. You know what? I don't know why this thought has crossed my mind, not especially now, but just in general. I would not pray to God <laughs> while sitting on a toilet. Right? Like, there's a level of respect towards God that, and I'm thinking just nakedness. I've, I've been naked, whatever, in the process of getting dressed or showered or, or whatever. And in a, need of prayer, I have covered myself before I would pray. And the, the, the thought occurs to my head is like, I'm not actually hiding anything that God can now not see. But there's an appropriateness of that that I see in Scripture. Like, I'm, I'm aware of my nakedness and that, that my nakedness in front of God is a problem. Just and I, I think it's deeper than, than this physical thing, but, but we need to be respectful of who God is. And I think that's kind of what's going on with Adam and Eve, is like, it is not appropriate for me to stand in God's presence at, in this condition. Much like that prophet that understood his sin and like the problem of standing before God and like, woe is me. I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, I should die if I was to see God in this sinful condition. And Adam and Eve somehow realize that they ought not to expose themselves to God as sinful people. 
And so perhaps they're not actually trying to completely hide, as in, you know, God can't find me now. But maybe it's an appropriate response of, I don't dare expose my sinfulness and just walk up to God as if nothing's wrong. And maybe that's the lesson that we need to learn is in our sinful state, do we just walk up to God as if nothing's wrong? And we pray and we praise and we come to church and we sing and we have these conversations and, and nobody knows what's going on in our life outside of here. And we act before God as if nothing's wrong. And we don't even have the decency that Adam and Eve had to, to realize that our sin is naked before God. It's not just the clothing. It's, it's our entire being. Everything about us is exposed before God. He knows every thought, every desire, every look. Right? Jesus said to look on a woman is to lust after her is the same as committing adultery in our hearts. Do you walk in here and look at somebody wrongly <laughs> with a, a lustful thought? And yet we, we pretend like none of that is a problem. And we, we sing and we pray and we, we do all this religious stuff and yet never actually deal with those things. And we act as if we can hide those things from God. There's both sides of this, right? Like, one is that you can't hide your sin from God. But then the other side of it is Adam, Adam didn't just walk up to God as if nothing's wrong. We ought not, in our sinful state, to walk up to the throne of God as if nothing's wrong with us. We, there are many things wrong with us. And we need to come in a repentant attitude to God, acknowledging our sinfulness, before we try to demand that he fix all of our problems. I'm not saying I'm sitting under the vehicle cursing at God all day <laughs> as I'm working on this stuff, but it, as an example, if, if I'm working on a vehicle because I've got three broken down vehicles, and if I'm just sitting there muttering under my breath and swearing and cursing and getting mad, and I, I honestly, I, I don't know how backyard mechanics do some of this stuff, because like, I've got the right tools <laughs> and this stuff is still hard. Like I got these rusted bolts and I'm sitting like I have the acetylene torch there and I pull it out and I have to use it multiple times. And I'm like, how do people do this if they don't have this stuff? Like that stuff was going to break or strip or just be impossible but I could sit there in anger 
with these wicked thoughts going through my head, and then have the audacity to demand that God make this job go easier, <laughs> right? I had an example. I was, I was in the shop and working, and my heart was kind of right in, the, in trying to have a, a right attitude towards God. And, and as I'm working, I'm praying, and I'm, I'm thinking of the Lord and, and trying to have a right attitude about things. And as I'm working and if anyone's done mechanical work, like you just know, like this stuff does not go easy 90% of the time. Like it's, it's the, it's the exception when things go well, not the rule. And so I'm working on something. I don't know what it was anymore. And I know the bolt's about to break and I'm trying everything I know to do. And yet the bolt breaks. And so I get the drill out and I start drilling. And I'm, I'm actually praying because whatever, I, I don't remember what the thing was, but this is going to be a problem. No matter what happens here, like I need this to go well. And you're doing these little drill bits and you, they, they, they like to break. And I'm praying about it as I'm doing it. And the drill bit breaks. Flush with the hole. Drill bits are hard. They don't drill. <laughs> like you can't take the next bit and keep drilling because it just doesn't do anything. My thought at that moment was thanks for nothing. To God. What an attitude. As if this rotten piece of junk car and these cheap drill bits that I'm using and all the stuff that I'm doing has anything like God made that happen? Like this is just... why? How can I blame God? Well, because he didn't stop it from happening because I was praying that... He, this would go well. What a rotten heart. And you know what? God is so good. In that particular case, with my rotten heart, angry towards God for not making this go well, that drill bit broke as it punched through the other side. And so when I actually looked further, I actually took a hammer and went tap, and the thing came out, and there's a hole there. And lo and behold, the thing's actually, like, problem solved. I can move on and fix this little, what, I don't have no idea what the thing was anymore. I just remember the, the hole <laughs> and the drill bit. But the thing I got mad at God about, because the drill bit broke, and I thought when it happened, like, now I'm stuck. And it broke in a position where I could actually still, it, like, it, it came through the other side. I just tapped it and it came out. And, it, like, no problem at all. It wasn't a problem. But it revealed my heart. <laughs> it revealed the problem in me that I thought because I'm 
thinking godly thoughts. I'm trying to have a good attitude towards God and, and include him in all that I'm doing as I'm working. That somehow now I shouldn't have any problems. That, that the drill bits shouldn't break and the rusted bolts shouldn't snap off. and Right? Like, the thing shouldn't explode anymore because I ha- I, like I'm praying. I, I'm conversing with God and I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do as a Christian. But like, it's not a, there's no promise in here that all of our little issues are going to go away and that all these problems are going to stop happening. Our problems are going to keep happening. <laughs> now, what is our heart? What, what is our heart's response when those things happen now? Do we, do we do what I did at that moment and say thanks for nothing to God? <laughs> Who are you that speaks against God? Who am I to have that kind of attitude towards God? My life is... The, the problems I have in my life... We have a, a term. These are first world problems. These are first world problems. We're talking on Thursday a little bit about the wealth that we have where we live. And I've brought this up over the years. I've brought this up many times. We are the 1%. (laughs) Whether you feel like it or not, you are wealthier than over 90% of the world. Probably 99%. Most people don't ride around in a motorized chariot with nice suspension and cushy seats traveling countless miles just to go sit in a church pew that's padded in a nice heated building. You know, most parts of the world, people are walking however miles they have to walk to get to a a church service that's lucky to have a tent over top, never mind... (laughs) Like they're in the they're outside in the bugs, they're standing in the mud and the rain and the sun. We're spoiled beyond our imaginations. And yet every little thing that goes wrong with our first world problems my roof leaks. Well you have a roof over a two thousand square foot house that's heated and air conditioned maintains the perfect temperature for you to live in 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Like, and we complain and we get upset over the fact that the stuff breaks down. I thought I was going to go beyond these first couple of verses today. We have a bad attitude towards God in our sin, in our sinful state. Somehow we think that we're better than Adam and Eve and that we can just walk into God's presence regardless of our sin. I have to be careful when I say this, right? I'm talking as if you are a Christian. (laughs) As if you've already received Christ as your Savior. Because if I was talking to a lost crowd, and explaining to you that how dare you walk into God's presence and expect 
anything. Well, that's the whole point of the gospel is that that's how we have to approach God because if I think it's James, maybe it's James, I don't know, makes the point that if you keep the whole law and fail in one point of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. <laughs> and the whole point of all of this explanation of that is that we're guilty before God. The whole point of the law, we see it in Galatians, is to bring us to the point of realizing our sinfulness before God. And so, yeah, God provided a way of salvation. Like, our sin is, we're doomed to hell because of our sin. When we, we need to realize that, that the seriousness of our sin should be sending us to hell. But God sent Christ to the cross that we can, that took our place. The punishment for my sin went onto that cross on, in, into Christ. And so that forgiveness of sin that's there is available. And yes, I get to enter God's presence even in a sinful state because of Christ. So I'm, talking, I'm not talking about salvation here in, this, in any way. I'm talking about relationship. Salvation is a different thing. I come to God in my sinful state, knowing that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? I, I can't clean it up before I come to Christ for salvation. Once I've come to Christ for salvation, I... The requirement of that is that I've recognized my sinful state. And Paul deals with the, shall I remain in my sin that grace may abound? Like God's grace was so good that while I was still wallowing in sin, he came and died on the cross that I, just by believing, putting my faith in him, I can receive eternal life. The point of that is that the requirement is that I have to recognize my sinful state in order to see my need of a Savior. So I can't believe in Christ's sacrifice on the cross until I recognize my sin is going to send me to hell. Now, if I've actually recognized the seriousness of my sin and the holiness of God, as a Christian now, do I carry on in sin? Because of God's grace? No. And so I'm talking about our relationship and our attitude towards God now. As a believer in that Christ paid for it, yes. But how dare we come to God with an attitude of, well, it's paid for. <laughs> and now I don't have to deal with those things like no that's not that's not it at all the whole rest of the new testament is dealing with <laughs> sin it's like we're we're explaining the gospel as clear as we can and yes it's like in my sinful state i come and i receive eternal life through christ's sacrifice on the cross just through my faith in in what he's done for me but that's not the end for us we need to move on and grow. We need to, to now deal with that sin 
that brought us to the point of recognizing our need of salvation, I was like, okay, well, that sin is naked before God. Let's, let's not pretend it doesn't exist. Let's start to deal with those things. Let's start to have that attitude of repentance and sorrow for those things um, before God. I'll, I know I'm... I'll just go to, I think, 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul, Corinthians is a, what we call a carnal church. Um, the Corinthians church was full of problems. They didn't give up their sin when they came to Christ. And so there's all these issues among the people in this church. And so 1 Corinthians in particular is dealing with those issues. And Paul in 2 Corinthians talks a little bit about their response to him dealing with those issues. Uh, verse 9, so 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 says, Now I read... Eh, Verse 8 says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were for, but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, the point in this is like, I'm dealing with sin and I made you sorrowful. You were sad over your sin that I dealt with. But the result of that is that you dealt with the sin. You, you made the change that was necessary. You sorrowed to repentance. You, you changed course and corrected the wrong. And that's, the, that's what we're supposed to do when we become aware of sin in our lives. As God's dealing with things in us, as we read the scripture and we see, oh, it says I shouldn't be doing this thing that I do all the time. I need to change. Not for access to heaven, because I get that through Christ, but like, well, because I recognize that this is a problem between me and God, now I'm going to deal with the thing. And I'm supposed to be sorrowful over it and repent over that thing. Um, I guess I need to stop today. Let's pray. Father, as we look at these passages and the, the issue of sin, um, we don't always like to hear it. We don't like to think about sin and having to deal with these things. But Lord, help us to, to understand your attitude toward it. Um, let us not confuse our salvation with, with these things of, of getting right and having a right heart before you. 
But Lord, help us to deal with the things that we need to deal with. Help us to make the changes in our lives that, that you would have us to change. So Lord, we just, again, we commit this to you and thank you for the time that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.